You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. My name is Brenna Rubio, and I am one of the pastors here at City Church of Long Beach. And it is, it's just so good to be all together today. We are actually starting a, a new series here at City Church for the month of March. Uh, you know, we actually, as a church, we're really committed to hearing from lots of voices. We love to invite people uh, to share stories uh, during our sermon time. We learn so much from each other and just, just hearing what has the journey been like for you in its ups and in its downs. Uh, and, and to be able to share really honestly with each other from these different perspectives. So we love to hear just a, a multiplicity and a diversity of voices. At the same time, we recognize that many of us come from spiritual backgrounds where the voices that we've heard have been much more limited. We were laughing together a little bit this morning, uh, just as we were kind of gathering as a team, all the different people who were going to be part of the service this morning, because uh, there was this viral video that made the round over this last week of yet another pastor standing up in front of a church, thanking God for his hot wife. And, and somehow this just exemplified, just sort of like this, these are the voices that many of us have heard from over and over and over again in our spiritual backgrounds. They have been male voices, they've been white voices, heterosexual, cisgendered, all of these things, right? Just this, this one type of person who has been given, given the platform given the microphone over and over to share those their stories. So as a church, we're going to continue to lean in to say like, wow, it is just amazing. Just the, the incredible gifts and leadership and stories that we have among us. Uh, and and to, to highlight all of those voices, this particular month, we decided one way that we could lean into that would be to ask some of the amazing women among us and some of the friends that we know in the community to say, hey, Tell us, what is the one sermon that you always wanted the church to hear? And you didn't have a chance to because it was always that, that same person up there given the microphone. And so it's just going to be a fun journey because all, all of the women we've invited, so it's, it's a wide open invitation. What is that one sermon that you always wanted to hear? And so they just get to take us where they want to, and we're so thrilled. We have such a phenomenal woman who is going to be leading us and kicking us off this morning in this series. It's been my privilege to know JC Anderson for I think almost 20 years now. Uh, my very first ministry team that I, I joined coming out of college, uh, JC and I ended up on this team together. And I remember even back then, uh, there's just something about JC that as soon as you meet her, you just go, wow, you know that you are in the presence uh, of just a phenomenal mind, a phenomenal heart, so much creativity, so much energy, so much love. Uh, and so now JC has been pastoring in the area for many, many years, and she has just recently started an incredible new venture uh, as a leadership coach for women of color, helping them to lead liberated. Uh, and so it is just going to be such a privilege uh, to hear from her this morning. Uh, so maybe just right now, because we are going to read scripture, but JC, could you just wave at everyone for a second and then we'll pass it over to you in just a minute. Yeah, so, so glad to have her here. 
So to get us into our time in the Word together this morning, led by JC, our friend Kathy Hermita is going to start us by reading a word of scripture. Kathy, thanks so much. Good morning. Um, fine. Okay. This is Matthew 13, 10 to 23. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Who have, whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see, Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen, then, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what they have sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. People of God, this People is the of... word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Kathy. JC, thank you so much for being with us today. Hello, friends. Yeah, so... I am excited to be here as we are on a one year of online gatherings. I think we're on the, the one year anniversary even for, for City Church. I think it was about this time last year we were gathering as pastors to try to navigate what we anticipated might be coming in a few weeks. And it was like, while we were all together, we got the word that, you know, churches that were gathering in schools, you know, would that was, you know, going to be suspended. And, 
and here we are. So the fact that you are here this morning, I, I see and want to recognize and affirm that I see your hunger and thirst for righteousness and righteousness meaning being in right relationship with God and one another and with creation. And Jesus declares that you are blessed and that you will be satisfied. And so my blessing over you this morning is that your hunger would be satisfied. So we are going to uh, begin by centering ourselves with a breath prayer from Black Liturgies written by Cole Arthur Riley. And we'll do seven cycles and I will, I will guide our time. At the top of the inhale, I will say, you hear the unheard. And at the bottom of the exhale, God help me to hold space. And we'll actually come back to this breath prayer um, throughout the message. So if you feel comfortable, close your eyes or lower your gaze, speak out loud with me or just let the prayer wash over you. So on the inhale, you hear the unheard. God help me to hold space. You hear the unheard. Exhale. God help me to hold space. You hear the unheard. God help me to hold space. You hear the unheard. God help me to hold space. You hear the unheard. God help me to hold space. You hear the unheard. God help me to hold space. You hear the unheard. God help me to hold space. So when Brenna mentioned this sermon topic, you know, series, the sermon I always wanted the church to hear, my first thought was, you know, the sermons I have wanted the church to hear have been preached, but they have not been heard. I mean, today you can YouTube Dr. King, you can Google Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman preached a whole sermon by walking enslaved people off of Christian-owned plantations, but did the church, the people of God, hear it? So it's fair to ask, is it the sermons or the hearing that needs to be different? So today we will ask, how do we get ears to hear? How do we get ears to hear? This phrase, ear, having ears to hear, occurs throughout scripture to indicate good listening. Ears doing what ears are supposed to do. And yet we ask, how do we get ears to hear? When I thought of this, this topic, it reminded me of an article I read in the Front Porch uh, online. Uh, just name a magazine, not on my front porch. Um, on February 2nd of this year um, called When the Faithful Flee by Janice Perez Evans. And she opened saying, within the last five years, more and more minorities have been leaving white evangelical spaces, wounded deeply by those who are called to be guardians of the flock, as well as their spiritual siblings. At this point, the lack of movement or even acknowledgement of the problems begs the question, could this actually be willful ignorance? She references Dr. King's 1963 letter from a Birmingham jail as he goes on to describe the church of his time 
as having an ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound and being the arch defender of the status quo. She goes on to describe the recent departure of minorities as being called a silent exodus, but she argues it could be possible that this so-called silence has been something quite different. Minorities' tearful calls for repentance and lament falling on deaf ears. White brothers and sisters willfully turned their backs on their minority siblings in an effort to not cause disruption of the status quo and comfort of the majority culture members. Evans describes this phenomenon as the uncoupling of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy meaning right belief, orthopraxy meaning right practice or conduct. So this uncoupling happens when churches with clear doctrinal statements about things like racial reconciliation and the equality of genders have decades of minority efforts to make process, to make progress being met by indifference, lack of zeal, empty promises, and no leader involvement. And this is evidenced by churches and parachurch ministries led by white leaders with racial minorities in powerless positions. Back in October of 2017, Pastor Brian Loritz, a longtime advocate and strategist for multiracial churches in Christianity Today, he wrote, this is back in 2017, every minority in a white evangelical space wrestles with an inner Colin Kaepernick. We see injustices and want to speak into it, but we know that if we do, we can be ostracized, attacked, and the phone will stop ringing as invitations are rescinded or not extended at all, branded with a scarlet letter. Why? Because the power structures of evangelicalism continue to be white. The overwhelming leadership of higher Christian education is white. So are the professors in that space. Most of the national conferences are led by whites. I could continue with more, but you get the picture. He says, we minorities need to establish our own conferences, organizations, and networks, and praise God, this is starting to happen. So again, our breath prayer, you hear the unheard. God, help me to hold space. So as a biracial pastor with over 25 years of vocational ministry, I've encountered these dynamics time and time again and experienced the weathering and the pain in my physical body. But what encourages me today is that I hear the church, the people of God, white, black, indigenous, people of color crying out and demanding for ears to hear. And if pastors and ministry leaders do not shepherd people in response to this demand, God's people will mount eagles' wings and take their place in the great silent exodus, as God encourages and warns us in Exodus 19.4, when God says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, you know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So the phrase, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand is repeated 17 times throughout scripture. Another 17 times is referenced or addressing ears that refuse to hear, but only one time throughout all of scripture is the crowd affirmed for having eyes to see and ears to hear. And that's in Matthew 13, the scripture we read this morning. Matthew 13, 16, Jesus declares, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. 
So naturally we want to take note of what's going on in, in the scripture and in this context. Well, as we know, Matthew in Matthew 13, Jesus is explaining the parable of the seed in relationship to different types of soil, the seed being the kingdom of God and the soil was hard or rocky, thorny or good and soft. So the key to understanding this blessing that Jesus declares is in verse 19, where he says the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. So we know that the soil represents our hearts, which can be hard, rocky, thorny, or good and soft. And he declares that their ears hear because of the soil of their hearts being soft. So our hearing has to do with the condition of the soil of our hearts. Again, our breath prayer. You hear the unheard. God, help me to hold space. So one thing I notice about this is Jesus is speaking to individuals and a collective, the group, because he knows that an individual heart can have parts that are hard and rocky, thorny, or soft. I see this in my own life where I am soft hearted and have good soil that the kingdom of God takes root in when it comes to racial injustice. But the parts of my heart related to class and caste are a little more rocky and a little more thorny, need a little more weeding. And as a collective, as a crowd, of course, there for sure are parts of the crowd. It could be religious sects or affinities of different kinds who have some good soil and some hard soil. And maybe as a collective, you know, they have good soil for the kingdom inclusion of LGBTQ believers, but rocky soil when it comes to being stewards of the earth. So soft soil requires humility, both individually and as a collective. Humility is the primary posture for good soil. I love what Dr. Um, Christina Cleveland, a public theologian, calls this the holiness of perpetual repentance. So that is our invitation. So back to our question. So how do we, as God's people, get ears that hear? So we know the seed that Jesus is talking about is the kingdom of God, the good news that Jesus proclaimed and inaugurated that it was both at hand and yet to come. And we know that the kingdom of God is incredibly diverse ethnically by design. And in Revelation 21, where the kingdom is being described with this jaw-dropping beauty and deep satisfaction, Verse 26 describes all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. So we know that this diverse kingdom is both at hand and yet to come. And it's part of why we are here on earth. So part of having ears that hear means being aware of what hardens hearts and poisons soil. And in my experience, one of the most deadly toxins hardening the soil of Christian hearts and churches in the, in the United States is white supremacy. 
And this is different from being a white person. White supremacy is characterized by maintaining white standards as normative, dominant, and superior, even if slightly, in human beauty, in literature, in theology and authorship, in worship that centers triumph versus lament and suffering. It's characterized by an exalted status of ideas over embodied knowledge, characterized by dualism, a splitting of the body and spirit, hyper-individualism, disregarding or minimizing collective group experiences, manifest destiny, take whatever you want, don't allow anything to stand in your way, patriarchy, trustworthiness, authority and power being deferred to men over women, linearity, exalting predictable outcomes, controllable processes, and of course, white solidarity, a punishment for any form of breaking from white normativity and superiority. Again, our breath prayer. You hear the unheard. God help me to hold space. So of over 25 years of leading in these kind of conversations, I've developed a little bit of a reputation as being kind of a go-to person. And sometimes explicitly and sometimes low-key, white pastors will come asking with sincerity, what do I do? How do I lead? How, how do I respond to this? And my answer is usually, you know, the same, like, I don't need you to be on an expert on all things, you know, black or female. We, yes, I will speak <laughs> in these times, I will speak on behalf of all people of color and say, we need you to be an expert on white supremacy, white male privilege, white fragility, uproot that in your own soul and guard your heart against it and teach your church to guard their hearts against it. Like the pornography that it is eroding the glory of God's diverse kingdom. And yet usually the response is a lot like the rich young ruler who walked away discouraged because of the cost. And underneath what I typically see is a fear of who, who are we, who are they without it? And yet, who are you? Who are you without white supremacy, without privilege? By God, find out the past, the present, the future of the people of God demand that and need that. And yet I've never heard a white pastor say, I'll do whatever it takes to root out white supremacy from my own life and the church that I lead. Now, as marginalized folks, we have the challenge of liberating ourselves from white supremacy, being in solidarity with other mar marginalized folks. Like, it's not the oppression Olympics. It's not a, a trickle down liberation. Like, we have to be in solidarity together in, in all of its forms against white supremacy. And personally, part of my experience in, in vocational Christian ministry has been one of not being heard and and kind of feeling like an ugly duckling. I don't know if you know this story, if you're familiar with this story, but I'm half Danish, obviously. And so I grew up reading um, Hans Christian Andersen stories, like the real versions, the scary, creepy ones. This one isn't too bad for the kids in the room. Um, <laughs> but the ugly duckling is this duck who has this perpetual feeling that he has to 
work hard at being a duck in ways that the other ducks do not. And, and he's never quite getting it. And through a series of encounters, he learns that he is actually not a duck, but a swan. So he surrenders his striving to be a duck and embraces awkwardly at first the beauty of being a swan. And for me personally, some of my ugly duckling experiences have included um, not just being called the N-word because that has happened, but countless times that I have encountered people who refuse my leadership, look away during my sermons, disregard my, or my ordination because I am not a man. And this takes a toll um, as much as I have a reputation of being resilient it's wearing and, and the more honest I get and the more honest, um, I, the more communities that I, I put myself in of honesty, the more permission I have to acknowledge the, the depth of pain and grief. And um, last year I spoke pretty openly about identifying and getting counseling support for collective and cumulative racial trauma and spiritual abuse that's come from gaslighting, dismissal, just an intersectional bias um, that I encounter being a woman of color, and most of which has happened in the church or parachurch contexts, and often based in some form of, you know, my own calls for repentance and lament falling on deaf ears that, um, that Evans described in her article. And, so um, I'm not gonna re-traumatize myself by sharing you know, some of those things in that space, but it is actually the fruit of a lot of inner work and healing and advocating for my own softness that I can be here to speak with you today. And it's actually quite redemptive. So my work is to get ears to hear myself as a swan and to be in solidarity with other swans on behalf of the softness of our hearts and the soil of our hearts. So circling back to Evans' phrase, getting ears to hear, has to do with a recoupling of orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So a recoupling of belief with practice. So Jesus has been quoting um, Isaiah. So in Isaiah 42, 20, scripture tells us, you see and recognize what is right, but refuse to act on it. You hear with your ears, but you don't really listen. And in James 1, 22, it says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. So there's a, there's a distinctive that we get ears to hear by maintaining a posture of humility, perpetual repentance, and we act on what our soft hearts hear. So this is called praxis. It's a cycle of action and reflection. And, and I love what Jesus says, um, I think in verse, uh, was it 19? I'll come back. It's when he says, you know, you'll continue to receive more, or sorry, 12. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. So it's this, it's this cycle, praxis, this cycle of, of doing and hearing and doing and hearing. And personally, these days, what recoupling orthodoxy and, and orthopraxy looks like for me is 
yes, exposing myself to different voices, but then doing something with it. So during this, this season of Lent, I've been reading a Lent devotional um, put out by uh, Randy and Edith Woodley, the founders of Elohe, which is an indigenous center for earth justice. Randy is an author and professor at George Fox University, Portland Seminary. And throughout the, throughout the devotion, he's just inviting us into um, the righteousness, the right relationship with creation, being in a symbiotic relationship with the earth and, and recognizing, um, reintegrating you know, the, the spirit into earth. And, and the difference that's making, um, you know, is, is how I relate to literally my backyard space. And as we're growing a vegetable garden and the types of prayers we pray with our kids before we eat and the awareness we have of our food and our relationship with our food and consumption and, and things like that. Um, increasing also awareness of, you know, my embodied wisdom through Black liturgies, prayers, and various meditations. You can follow Black liturgies on Instagram. And this is part of reclaiming my embodied wisdom that gets so dismissed, and that, that's a whole other sermon, um, in, in church spaces that have historically exalted the mind as a way of uh, diminishing the the full humanity of of people of color and their embodied experiences and so a returning to my body and responding to the the wisdom that is that is encountered through my lived experience and um and another place of recoupling orthodoxy and orthopraxy that has been very life-giving and fun is engaging womanist theology. I've been reading um, a book, Womanist Midrash, which happens to be here on my bookshelf, yes, um, by the brilliant uh, Wilda C. Gaffney. And womanist theology is based in the fundamental equality of men and women and the ethic of black liberation where a black woman's observations and questions about the text are legitimate, essential and necessary for understanding scripture. Womanist theology asks questions about power, authority, agency, voice, hierarchy, inclusion and exclusion, seeks the voice and the perspective of the whole community, especially the least privileged among the community and introduces readers to biblical women and their stories, including those who are not explicitly named in scripture. And part of the methodology is talking back to the text, talking back to scripture. If you have ever watched a movie with me or in a theater where the audience is black, you can understand why this is an exceptionally life-giving practice. Talking back to scripture <laughs> is just, something that is very uh, embodied in, in black cultures, just talking back to stuff. So when I read that, when I started reading this and encountering womanist theology, I was both so like deeply underlining things and then so angry, so angry that I am 42 years old. I am still paying on my seminary loans 
over 25, say 35 years of having grown up in the church, been had so much leadership, Christian leadership development and wisdom and theology embedded in me. And not once did someone say, you know, you might, you might want to check out womanist theology. You're a lot like that. Not once did somebody introduce womanist theology as having its authoritative and necessary place in, in, in exegesis and understanding scripture and how we are to be as a people of God. That is problematic. That is problematic. Anyways. One of the things that womanist theology honors is the feminine names, titles, and imagery of God accurately wherever it appears in scripture. In the opening lines of scripture, womanist theology reclaims the text as saying, in the beginning, he created, bara, the, <laughs> my pronunciation is going to be problematic, bara, he created, the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. She pulsed, merek efeth, spirit, ruach, both in the feminine form over the surface of the waters. So the reading right in the first two sentences of scripture gives us a he created a male creation, creator, and a female, she pulsed over the surfaces of the waters. So womanist theologian and Hebrew professor Wildesi Gaffney asks, imagine the hearing, imagine hearing the scripture proclaimed with the gender of God's spirit restored. The spirit, she rested on them. Numbers eleven twenty six. Then the spirit of God, she wore Gideon like a garment. Judges 6, 34. The spirit of God, she came upon David, 1 Samuel 16, 13. The spirit of God, she has made me, Job 33, 4. And this occurs more than 30 times. Now, the way translators have, you know, gotten around giving Holy Spirit a, a feminine pronoun is by referencing Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit. Has that ever bothered anybody? I mean, I, I just always felt like, why is the Holy Spirit kind of getting the shaft of not being personified like it, there's it's third part of the trinity like it's a person anyways so in our family this is looking like not taking the lord's name in vain and reintroducing the accuracy of the feminine image of god in our prayers when we're singing worship songs with our kids we're correcting terminology. Can you just imagine the church with centuries of being steeped in praying to God in the feminine, hearing she attributed to the highest authority and power, and what that could have meant for centuries of violence and dismissal of God's Im image bearers who are women. And yet, it's not too late. Today, we can, as we steward the kingdom of God in our own hearts, in our communities where we live and work and play, we get to step into these truths. So again, it's not just about exposing ourselves to different voices and messages, but cultivating our hearts with humility, recoupling belief 
with practice. This is how we get ears to hear that are blessed by Jesus. So what if the church was known for having ears that hear? Because we have cultivated a costly softness in our hearts. Imagine being known as the most beautiful entity in this chaotic world because it is our diversity that stabilizes us. I wanna close again with our breath prayer. If you would join me on the inhale. You hear the unheard. God, help me to hold space. Amen.